Mental health has been an incredibly common topic in both this and the last season of the podcast. And it makes sense. According to the CDC, more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder at some point in their lifetime. In other words, this is a relevant topic. And yet still today, mental illnesses and disorders are stigmatized, seen as disqualifiers, or wildly misunderstood. For Christians, this can make it difficult to know how God is calling you and how you can follow that call. But what if God's calling isn't in spite of your mental health struggle, but with that in mind? This is what our guest Susan discovered. During a cruise at a young age, she was hit with an extreme period of wild energy, so much so that her friend was deeply concerned. And Susan didn't know what was going on, but her parents did. They recognized it as bipolar disorder. What followed for Susan was a season of wondering if her dreams were going to die. But what she discovered was that the mental health struggles were not going to impede the dreams that God had for her. And in fact, those dreams may be through those struggles. You're listening to episode 160 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for those moments when you bring two people together that never would have met otherwise. I thank you that that's the case for Susan and I, that Anne brought us together and here we are. And we don't even know what this conversation is going to bring. We just know that you orchestrated it. So we go forward with that knowledge and with the faith that you are going to be present and active and working. But we want to say, here we are. We want to release our words. We want to release our thoughts. We want to release our agendas. We want to release all of that because we know that in your hands, there's so much more that you could do with this space. So we give it to you. We thank you for it. And we look forward to seeing how you will work. Let's pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Susan, I'm looking forward to this conversation because, you know, like I said in the prayer, and another podcaster had both of us at different times on. But in talking to both of us individually, realized, oh, these two people should connect. So she sent an email, connected us, and here we are. As we get into this conversation, what would you want people to know about who you are as we start to talk? I am the author of Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping, a memoir of my bipolar journey. I live with bipolar disorder. I gave a TEDx talk, which was very difficult. Having a mental illness is not a death sentence. Hmm. And I work in an elementary school with special education students with learning disabilities. And my Christian faith has kept me grounded throughout my whole journey. And it continues to. Hmm. That's really good. I feel like already there's thoughts going through my mind. But I feel like before we can even go further, bipolar disorder is something that a lot of people have heard of but I feel like not a lot of people actually understand. So what is the broad sweep of what people need to know about what bipolar disorder is so that they can actually fully be present in this conversation? Bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. It's a chemical imbalance in the brain which causes euphoric highs, known as manias, and devastating lows to the point of suicide. Hmm. Bipolar disorder is genetic. That's how we knew I had it because my uncle has it. And also uh, members of my mom's side of the family also have mental illness. It's treated by medication and I take a lot of it. Yeah. So that's the basics of bipolar disorder. 
And with the genetic piece, there was kind of a heads up that you could end up having. But I imagine that it was still a bit of a journey getting to the point where it's like, yep, this is what's going on. So yeah, tell me some of the story of how you came to know that was going on and what was it like prior to actually really understanding? So I would say when I was a junior in high school, I experienced depression for the first time. And my mom is a nurse. My dad is a hospital administrator and they met in a hospital like 52 years ago. (laughs) And I experienced the depression and my mom recognized that I was depressed and that I needed help. So she took me to my first psychologist. I was open to it. We worked together and I was able to what she called remove the sunglasses and able to recover from the depression. Hmm. And then I went on a after high school cruise. That's where I experienced mania for the first time. Mm. I was not like myself at all. You know, I'd never been a drinker or a partier or a smoker, any of that. And I was just going crazy. I remember I was celebrating my birthday and I remember having a napkin and screaming, somebody buy me a drink, Mm. going down this water slide into 50 degree water and people are like, she's on drugs. I'm like, no, no, honestly, (laughs) never taken a drug before. I'm in a bar dancing on tables, drinking with my friend. I went with my friend and she got so irritated with me. We went our separate ways and I was up all night and I had these thoughts just going through my mind and I could solve all the world's problems. Mm-hmm. So that was mania. And then after the cruise, my mom was able to detect exactly what was going on because of her brother, my uncle, mm. who had she had taken care of for many years. So she's like, uh, yeah. you know, she knew that was a high, but I didn't think anything was, you know, I didn't have a problem. You know, mm-hmm. and I was very scared of hospitals. Mm. And most people end up in the hospital when they experience manias, especially for the first time. And I was like, I'm going to hospital. And I think she did a lot of praying Mm. and found a psychiatrist who agreed to treat me from his office as long as my parents monitored my medication. I began lithium at the time and I was compliant, Mm -hmm. but I know my parents were so scared watching me take that for the first time. Yeah, was pretty terrifying, as you can imagine, as a father. Yeah. What an unexpected blessing it must have been that your mom detected that because of the experience with her brother, because from your end, you might not have thought much of it or might not have assumed it was anything to be worried about. And since you didn't want to end up being hospitalized, you're not even going to consider that. So you could have ended up going years. And that happens to so many people. They go halfway through their lives Mm. not knowing. So I honestly call myself the blessed bipolar, Mm. you know, that I really feel that God intervened Mm -hmm. at age 19. Yeah. So I knew right away what was going on. It was quite a blessing in disguise. Yeah. As horrible as it was. Well, and part of what makes it horrible, it sounds like, is one, the stigmas that come along with any kind of conversations around mental health but particularly around bipolar disorder, because there are just assumptions and exaggerations, but also the internal warring of, well, what is this going to mean for my life? And it goes back to what you start off saying, this concept of, well, I guess this means my dreams have to die. 
Tell me about that. Why is it people assume their dreams have to die if they have bipolar disorder or a number of things? And why are you convinced that's not the case? <laughs> For me, I wanted to be an elementary school teacher from a very young age. My best friend's mom, she was an amazing teacher. And so my best friend and I emulated her. Mm. As I grew, you know, I went into college, which was very difficult because stress sets off bipolar disorder. Went into college, went to five colleges in four and a half years, which was really hard. <laughs> Had some wonderful supports from my parents, went to church, psychiatrists, psychologists, but I learned that I had to change my dream. With the help of the psychologist, she explained to me that being a licensed teacher was going to be too much stress mm -hmm. and that I had to change my thinking. And I was not happy about that. I remember just being heartbroken, but she told me that there were other ways that I could get involved in a school mm -hmm. and to be a part of educational process for kids. And so I was open to that. And I graduated Drake University back in 1999, mm -hmm. just a few years ago, right? Yeah. I tell myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was that was pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, definitely God had his hand on that. And I was able to work and I have in different capacities since 1999. I worked with a girl who had cerebral palsy in a wheelchair. I worked as a kindergarten assistant. You want to talk about, ah, mm. <laughs> and I've worked with children who have autism. And then these days, children in the classroom, I get to support kids in the classrooms. Mm. I'm getting one-on-one -on -one attention or keeping them focused. I guess God had a different plan mm -hmm. and I surrendered to that. And let me tell you, I am so happy I don't have my teaching license mm. because there is so much stress yeah. involved in it. Yeah. My wife's a teacher and it's a stressful job, even in the best of environments. Yeah. She's in a great school with great staff and amazing kids. And it's still teaching is a very stressful <laughs> occupation. So I could definitely understand, you know, what you're saying. And I love your emphasis on God must have seen something that I didn't see because <laughs> like we have this sense of how we've been created and what inspires us and what desires we have. But then we kind of map out, well, this is what this looks like. This is how this plays out. And when life doesn't seem to line up that way, we can start to get frustrated with God because it's like, God, you put this in me. So why aren't you letting me get to where I want to get? Which makes me wonder, you know, you mentioned that when your mom was starting to see some of these things within you, prayer was part of her response. So what was your interaction with God like in the midst of this journey, and particularly in those really hard seasons where you didn't know what was going on? or you knew what was going on and you didn't like it, or you didn't know what was ahead? I'd say during the highs, God is like in the same room. Hmm. So it is a really amazing feeling to be like that close. It's like you can hear him talking inside. I mean, it's, it's really an amazing thing. But during the lows, I felt him to be very distant. Hmm. You know, why am I suffering? Why are you doing this to me, God? You know, a lot of whys and pity party. Mm -hmm. But I think the people that he placed in my life were able to help me out of those moments and to give me hope. And I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about this idea of in the highs, you feel this intense closeness and you feel like you can hear him. 
even before you said that, I'd already been thinking about the reality of God's intentionality. We think of all these things that are things that shouldn't exist in our lives. These problems, these struggles, these limitations, those are bad things. They shouldn't happen. Everything should be perfect. But God has an intentionality around what he invites us to. I mean, he could have immediately healed the bipolar disorder, but he chose to do something different. And it makes me wonder if sometimes what he's doing is actually giving us opportunities or giving us access that in and of ourselves we wouldn't have gotten. So what if something about the bipolar disorder, it isn't just that it makes it feel like God is closer or makes it feel like you can hear more. What if you actually are able to get closer to him or hear him more because there's something about the way that your body is working that for someone that doesn't encounter that might not experience that same thing. Good point. And, and so if that's the case, it goes back to what you were saying about with your job. It's like you saw a way that it should work, but now you can look and say, well, I'm glad it didn't go that way because what God has invited me to is different, is, is better in a lot of the ways. It's exciting. If all that is true, the invitation that people have is to not just name what their situation is, but to do what you did to kind of release things, release dreams, accept things. How does someone get to that point? Because that's hard, especially if there are stigmas, especially if there are fears, especially if there is loss. Hmm. I think time surrounding yourself by wise people, spiritual directors, ministers, priests, psychologists, psychiatrists, accepting it yourself. I think you have to first accept it yourself. Mm. Yeah. All of this makes me think of, interestingly, prophets in the Bible, but specifically Elijah. Mm. You know, we're talking about these moments of being able to feel and experience God and these low moments where you talked about the lows can be so much that you're like, I, I'm just done. I can't do this anymore. And there is a moment where Elijah was having these profound moments of hearing God telling him to do some crazy things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then things happen to bring him to a point where he's like, I can't do this anymore, God. Just kill me now. Man, the depth of that level of low for someone who had just experienced God, who had just had a high, right? who was seeking God, that could be hard to navigate. So when you were hitting those low places, I mean, it's one thing, like you said, to kind of accept things, but sometimes in those low, low, low moments, how you're processing is even hard to navigate. So how did you work through those? My mom and dad. Yeah. They really witnessed their faith. I remember hitting probably one of the lowest lows. I was going through like a medication change and all I could do is lay in bed. I could barely get up and walk around the block. Mm. I couldn't watch TV. I, I could just lay there. And my father said to me, he's like, what about your faith? What about, and my, my father's not a man of many words mm. when it comes to sharing faith or religion or anything. And, you know, that moment really changed things and made a difference. Yeah. I feel really blessed to have my parents. I know not everybody has amazing parents like I do, mm -hmm. but yeah, it would have been really hard without them. Yeah. Well, and just what they brought to the table too, with their medical knowledge and experience, <laughs> like it really was this beautiful space that, again, you talked about being blessed in that. And there are a number of folks, as you noted, that don't have that. So if somebody doesn't have parents that are bringing that to the table, what does it look like to find community or support that can carry you through? 
For mental illness, there are places to go find support. I always lead people to NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Find a good therapist. And I always say that's kind of like dating mm. when trying to find a therapist because you'll find that your personality clicks with a therapist and then another therapist, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I always say try definitely therapy I'm big of and, you know, finding the right doctor, psychiatrist too. Yeah. And friends, which is really hard to establish friends when you're depressed. Mm -hmm. But my support group of people in my life, it's a really big one. Yeah. So I'm really, really lucky to have that. Yeah. When you even mentioned not just depressed, but you had the one friend who couldn't handle the highs. It was too much for them. And that is a hard thing to navigate when you encounter people who just don't feel like they can stay at the table because it's just too much or I don't know what to do. But one thing that's probably true for some of the relationships is there were probably people that didn't know what to do, didn't know how to navigate it. But what they did was stay at the table. So like, how would you encourage people that are in that position, that someone that they know is navigating bipolar disorder or something else, and they're saying in their minds, I don't understand this. I don't know that I had the capacity, but I love this person. So I guess I'm here. <laughs> when you said that, it makes me think of my best friend. Mm. I mentioned her, her mom was the teacher. And she has stood by me since I was six years old and just loved me unconditionally and supported me just by listening, yeah. just by being there. And she was my maid of honor in my wedding. Mm. I've been very blessed with 15 years of a beautiful Christian marriage, married the man of my dreams. Mm. And that's another big support for me, my husband as well. Yeah. And what's his journey been like in this? Because that's a conversation that's come up a few times of it's one thing when one person individually experiences things, but when it's a couple, when it's spouses, when, you know, as scripture says, they are one, yes. that's a much different thing. So what's that journey been like, not just for him, but for you as his wife? I've worked so hard at making sure that I'm stable. You know, I started that before we started dating, mm -hmm. make sure that I, you know, took my medicine, got enough sleep exercised, attempted to watch what I eat. Mm -hmm. I like my steak and chocolate. I'm not walking away from that. <laughs> mm -hmm. We've always gone to church together and, you know, things are great. And then about the last two years have been pretty challenging mm -hmm. with my aging parents. Mm -hmm. So I've really seen our marriage flourish and us come together even more. Yeah. And I've seen the love that he has for me and for my family. I'm practically crying here. Mm. <laughs> and I think, wow, think how much he loves me and I love him. And then I think, think how much God loves us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, and what's beautiful is that part of the way that he shows his love is by bringing capacity, bringing opportunity where it might not have been otherwise. Because going again to that idea of these situations can leave someone thinking, I've got to let go of this dream. This dream is dead. There's no way. One other area in which it could happen, in addition to you described your career, is relationships. Like, how can I be in a deep relationship if I'm navigating this? How can I be in a long-term relationship if I'm navigating this? Will somebody want to be with me? <laughs> like, Will they be able to handle it? And what you've just described is God can make that happen. 
God can bring two people together and provide the love and the depth and the patience and the understanding and the grace and the forgiveness to not just allow both people to survive, but to actually thrive to the point where, you know, you've just described your parents are in a hard space. And you said earlier how much they mean to you. And you said that stress can make all of this harder. And yet here you are in what could be a devastating situation. And you're able to process it. Like the way you just processed it, there is this level of peace in your voice because of what God's done in providing your husband and providing this backdrop of all the ways he's already worked. And I love that because, yeah, we can make our decisions once hardship hits, once suffering hits, once we suddenly see this limitation within us, we can make the decision of what can and can't happen. And meanwhile, God's like, well, I'm the one who can do abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. And it's always better his ways. Right. I want to do things my ways, my dreams. Wait a minute. His ways. That kind of makes me think of the book that I wrote. I got a calling from the Holy Spirit, from God to write the book. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like and that's helped so many people and is helping so many people and families. He had a better idea than I did. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just amazing how he works now. The way you said it, was it one of those situations that you in and of yourself would never have thought about writing a book or wouldn't have wanted to write a book? Tell me about that. So I graduated college and I wasn't going to write another work <laughs> as done. Right. No way. <laughs> enough of, you know, the papers and the tests. Yeah, forget it. And then I experienced rock bottom when I lived with my aunt in Virginia, and then my parents SOS me here to Las Vegas where we live. Mm -hmm. And I had met my husband and I was newly married. I needed healing. And so I heard like this voice from God. It was very soft. And I heard it when I was silent at church. Mm -hmm. And it said, Susie, write your story. And, you know, I said, no, 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 <laughs> call somebody else because I'm not, you know, no, 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 not, not me. Yeah. I didn't know how to write my story. So I found a how to write a memoir workshop at the Gold Coast Casino. Gotta love Vegas. <laughs> I bought a book and I found an accountability partner and I was on my way to writing my story. But it was just for me. Mm -hmm. I had no intent of sharing it with anybody you know, nobody was going to read this, just me. Mm -hmm. And I needed some help. So I reached out and I found a how to write a memoir workshop and got encouragement from a mentor who was in his 80s mm -hmm. at the time. And he encouraged me. He's like, God has a plan for this, for your book, and you have talent. So keep going. Well, it took me years and years and years because of how exhausting my job is. And it's hard to be disciplined as a writer. Mm -hmm. It's not easy, but I persevered and I think I shocked my husband <laughs> and I ended up even getting a publisher, which is mm -hmm. really hard. Yeah. Yeah. My aunt and uncle in North Carolina, their pastor had a publishing company. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was the whole thing was pretty divine. When I was done with the book and got it edited, I actually took it to Bible study and it was prayed over mm. that I find a publisher. And then everything just opened up mm -hmm. and it ended up bringing my aunt and uncle and I closer together too. We hadn't had a real close relationship my whole life. And so, I mean, what a blessing that's been. Yeah. And, and we're close now because of that. Yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah. And I decided to, you know, go public with that. 
which mm. took a lot of guts. Mm-hmm. It's hard to put yourself out there. It's hard to put yourself out there with a topic that isn't really understood well, is stigmatized. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to continue to put yourself in that environment of having to navigate this. And have you had opportunities to hear how God has used what he's invited you to to significantly impact others? Absolutely. I'm in the middle or at the beginning of starting a women's ministry called mm. the Magnificat, the Catholic one. You go and you share your testimonies in different groups. Mm. So I've been able to do that here uh, locally, and I hope it will continue to be an international faith sharing testament. Yeah. So that's been pretty powerful. Yeah. And then I even started a mental health spiritual support group in my mm. church. And then COVID killed it. Can oh. you believe that? Oh, man. <laughs> I worked so hard at getting this group together yeah. and I had a psychologist and she was fantastic. And then we made it through COVID and we had Zooms. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it just kind of fell apart. Yeah. But that's okay. God closed one door and then he opens another one. Yeah. And some things come in seasons and right. you just kind of keep on trying to listen and take the next best step towards God. But what you're talking about is real. I mean, there are moments where you're not thinking about something and God's just like, hey, I want you to do this thing. And you're like, well, why should I do this? I don't want to do this. Or what's this going to be for? Or And he doesn't even have to tell us any of that. But when we're willing to listen for that and respond, it can lead to amazing things. Because when you were 19, you weren't projecting any of this right. in your future. Yeah. You weren't seeing any of this and you might not have chosen it. And that's been a recurring theme that I've heard in many of these conversations is this was hard. I wouldn't have chosen any of this, but now that I'm on this end of it, I could see God's wisdom or I could see God's opportunities or I can see that God is actually doing abundantly more, even though I have no idea what's ahead, but I know he's ahead. Yeah. There's another theme that I hear and it's been implied in how you've talked. It's the understanding that sometimes God is inviting us to accept the hard invitation to remain in a space rather than our gut instinct of, I want God to take this away. The way that you're talking is from this place of understanding that perhaps God has invited you to live with this for the rest of your life. Is that something that you've processed before? Yes, I sure have. And I've also learned that God does beautiful things with brokenness Mm -hmm. if you let him, if you're obedient, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. to what he's asking you to do. Yeah. His ways are better Mm -hmm. than any of ours. Yeah. Because, I mean, ultimately, whenever we press against that, whenever we're struggling with that, it's because we're projecting this idea of the perfect life. And meanwhile, God's like, well, I mean, your life here is a short-term thing anyways. Right? It's not long, is it? Right. (laughs) Really said it at our age. (laughs) I think it really is beautiful. That same mentality that you used when it came to your dreams of what you would do with your life. And you said, you know what? I'm going to release how I think this should work and trust God. And God said, look, you don't have to give up on your dreams, but we're going to shift it to something that's better. We can do the same thing with our broader life. Our whole life on this earth is say, here's how I would really like things to happen. I would love to be comfortable and financially secure and well-loved and all these things. However, in light of God's understanding of reality and in light of God's plan for eternity, I'm going to be willing to hold this loosely. Or as Jesus put it, to die to self. (laughs) Because maybe God has a better plan. Maybe God knows something better. And... 
what we come to learn and what you're experiencing through your book and through these groups is sometimes that plan and that something better involves people beyond you. Because our best plans are about what's best for us and those we love that are closest to us. But now God's using your story, your transparency to encourage others who may be where you were, 19, 20, 21, like what in the world's going on and how do I navigate this and how do I keep my dreams? Now they're hearing your journey. They're seeing you smile. They're like, oh, she's happy. (laughs) And she's also saying that things are still hard and yet she's still going. Well, maybe I can too. And now their story, their trajectory might take shape a little sooner because they're being given the gift of this wisdom. They're being given the gift of this hope. And man, that is just a beautiful thing. Yeah, I I just got a IM on Instagram from a young girl thanking me for writing the book. She saw the TED Talk, which was very helpful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like tears come down. It's like, wow, you know, thanks for inspiring me. And she wanted to be a teacher as well or is in Mm. school to be a teacher. And she's like, it gets so hard. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can. I'm like, I did it. You can do it. There's touching times like that. Yeah. And those are, I feel like, little breadcrumb gifts from God, right? Like sometimes we're getting, it's kind of going through and then God's like, I'm going to give you a little bit of encouragement. <laughs> I'm going to give you this little piece you're not expecting. Sometimes they're huge things. Sometimes it's like a, a transformational gift from God that you're like, all right, I didn't expect this. Maybe I didn't feel like I deserved it. And yet God wanted to show me how much he's working. And I mean, that's because he loves us. He loves to give good gifts. Now, we talked earlier about how there are people that might not understand what bipolar disorder is. And you gave that quick hit of here's what you need to know. And we've talked about how if somebody wants to love and come alongside a friend or loved one that's navigating bipolar disorder, what that could look like. But for the everyday person, if there is one thing you wish that people could understand or one little nugget about bipolar disorder that you just want to put in people's hands, what would you want that to be? that were or anybody living with bipolar disorder is not crazy. Mm. Not crazy. They're not stupid. Yeah. I have feelings and emotions and just treat them with respect. And bipolar disorder can be as treatable as someone who has diabetes and takes insulin. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been taught to kind of see it that way in comparison instead of how scary it is when we think of mental illness when we say the word. Yeah, yeah. When it really is heartbreaking that that even needs to be said. And it does. Like what you said needs to be said because we will make these broad sweeps. We will make these categorizations of people and not understand that everybody is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, (laughs) right? And we won't assume positive intent or we won't extend grace because of whatever our misperceptions are. And so it is heartbreaking that it needs to be said. But I think what's beautiful is what we talked about earlier about how God can breed capacity. Somebody doesn't have to fully understand bipolar disorder or mental health or anything like that to be able to extend grace, to extend love, to extend understanding, to assume positive intent. And so that's even the broader invitation is let's just work on loving others. (laughs) (laughs) you know, whoever they are, whatever they're doing. Let's start there and trusting God to provide the capacity to love. Because yeah, if we wait for our understanding before we love, then it's going to be hard, if not impossible. 
But if we start with love, God can bring the understanding. God can allow us to see things that we might not have on our own. And that's what we see with Jesus, right? Like everyone would see this person in a crowd and assume all these things. And Jesus would look at him and say, hey, I want to go eat at your house. Or, hey, come here. Or, hey, I'm going to pray for you. And if we say that we are Christians, then we're saying we're following Christ. So let's do what he did. <laughs> right? Let's say somebody's listening that has a story similar to yours. They're navigating bipolar disorder. They're trying to figure out how to navigate life. If you could say something to them right now, what would you want to say? It's okay to ask for help if you need help, that there is no shame in that. To be open to seeking help and never give up. Mm -hmm. Never, never, never. No matter how hard things get, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. God always brings you through the dark days. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to know more about your story or connect with you, how could they do that? It's at sjohnsonauthor.com is my website. You can view my TED Talk. You can buy my book, Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping, and then more of my bipolar journey on Amazon. And then all my social media is also linked on my Facebook page, my Instagram. They're all linked on my author page. That's great. I haven't seen your TED Talk. But the sense that I have is I want to encourage everyone to go and watch it, whether you are personally navigating bipolar disorder or know someone or don't know anybody, because this is a great opportunity to learn <laughs> something that's valuable to learn. And I was really happy because I was allowed to talk about my faith on the TEDx stage. Oh, wow. I didn't get shut down. Yeah. I mean, I had to make parts of the talk broad. Mm -hmm. You know, so they had different viewing audiences could kind of relate. Mm -hmm. But there's like a disclaimer on the bottom. <laughs> These are not views of TEDx. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> Literally, I mean, there's this whole paragraph. It's kind of funny. Disclaimer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's good if you've gotten a disclaimer plastered on your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a stamp of approval from the Lord. But it really is beautiful because, I mean, that is a part of your story. I mean, how God worked even before you knew there was something that needed to be worked on is a part of this journey of yours. And it's been a sustaining part. God has been present and active from your mom getting clued in early on to God whispering, hey, go write a book and everything in between. And so you can't really authentically tell the story without that. So I love the fact that on that stage, that does tend to need to be a very broad and safe and accessible space for all beliefs. I love that that was able to be presented and shared. Yeah, I'm proud of it. Yeah. A lot of work went into that two years and it all had to be memorized. Yeah. It was really something. I've heard TED Talks are intense. <laughs> There's like a specific formula and everything that you have to follow. Oh. <laughs> but oh. you did it. <laughs> oh, man. God got me through that. Let me tell you. My husband almost left me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the stress, mm. oh, the stress set off, the, you know, the bipolar. And, yeah. you know, it got canceled like twice because oh, of the gosh. pandemic. Oh, so he's like, if it happens one more time, you're not doing this. <laughs> like, drawing the line. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> but God made it happen and probably used some of the stress in it to add more content to the talk. <laughs> well, as we close out, is there anything else that God's putting on your heart that you feel led to share? Just perseverance. If you're dealing with a loved one, struggling, persevere to be with them. If you are the one struggling, 
persevere to get help and heal and get healthy. One of the elements that really stood out to me about this conversation is when Susan shared that in her moments of mania, she feels incredibly close to God. And as I noted, it made me think of the prophets who were robustly and audibly often hearing clearly from God. This idea stuck with me. What if some of the things that we see as limiters actually open up something within us to experience God and his supernatural reality in a deeper way? In other words, what if God is indeed giving us callings, not in spite of mental health struggles, but with them in mind? To show just how much this idea is foreign to us, I want you to consider this question. How often have you considered mental health when reading the stories in Scripture? Have you ever read the account of one of the heroes of the faith and thought, oh, they might have this mental health disorder? Or have you instead, like I know I did throughout my life, Assume everyone was some kind of a normal default. Because the truth is, if the CDC is right and over 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental health disorder or illness in their lifetime, there is a very good chance that a large number of people that we read about in Scripture navigated these challenges as well. In fact, there are many who have been studying the idea of mental health in Scripture and have discovered that while the diagnoses that we know today are never mentioned in Scripture, many of the symptoms are. They'll point to individuals like King Saul, who had moments of mania and deep depression. Or Elijah, as we've talked about on this podcast, who hit a deep, deep low and longed for death. Even King David has been noted as being one who may have had mental health struggles. And so what does this mean? What if David's capacity to craft such deep and powerful psalms was in part because of how his mind worked? What if, like Susan... Elijah's ability to hear the voice of God in prophetic ways was because he was navigating something like bipolar disorder. There's no way for us to know for sure, but what I think this idea invites us to is to press further into this idea that mental health struggles are not disqualifiers and, in fact, could possibly give us unique access to God and an understanding of reality. Or to put it another way, what if this idea of default normal is actually rife with limitations itself? What if many of us wrestle with a condition that inhibits our ability to hear God or see the spiritual realities around us? And that for 50% or more of the population, something has circumvented those inhibitors, allowing them to glimpse reality even if they don't understand what they're seeing. I know this can sound like a wild idea, but it should be very clear from all of these conversations that stigmatizing mental health is both unhealthy and often destructive, but maybe we shouldn't stop at simply not stigmatizing. After all, the same King David who may have been navigating a mental health struggle wrote these famous words in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me 
were written in your book before one of them came to be. What King David is saying here is that regardless of what went on in his mind and body, God knew about it. Now, this, of course, could raise many questions, and I don't have the answers, but I do see one clear opportunity. If God is actually giving many callings with mental health struggles in mind, then we need to ask, are those individuals being shepherded well? As I mentioned earlier, many believe that King Saul had bipolar disorder, and we can see a stark contrast between his life and David's life, with a key difference being David's deep relationship with God and the spiritual guidance from individuals like Nathan. When King Saul began to reject these things, the negative impact was profound. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. The majority of us in the world are going to navigate some form of mental health struggle. And our minds and the voices around us may say that that is a bad thing. But what if you were fearfully and wonderfully made? What if your life was known by God before you took your first breath? And what if that means that he is calling you not in spite of that challenge, but with that challenge in mind? How could that change how we see ourselves, our struggles, and the opportunities before us? Because as Susan notes in her TED Talk, bipolar disorder, and any mental health struggle for that matter, is not a death sentence. Jesus came so that you could have full life, no matter what the chemicals in your brain are doing. And there is a God that wove you together that knows exactly how you can live into that full life. Navigating mental health struggles is challenging, but we have an opportunity to trust God in the midst to face those challenges with the belief that God is about to do abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine. And as we hold to that, to go into each day, asking ourselves, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation, but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should, since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book.
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?